Hello, fellow true crime lovers. Welcome to another episode of Dimes of Crime. This is your host, Richa. And this is Haley. Okay, it's been a while since I've done this, but I'm going to try to get back to it. So what are you drinking, Haley? I am drinking a Cabernet. Oh, wow. Okay, I'm going to be very honest. It's like almost 11 here. I'm drinking water. <laughs> um, so it's going to be just water for me. And to be honest, today's case is a little bit sad, more sad than I'd like to admit. Um, it definitely made me sad. Maybe you guys will have a different reaction to it because it does have somewhat of a happy ending. Um, I forewarned Haley about it, too. Uh, before we get into the story, all the disclaimers apply if you're listening to us not on headphones around people who are not true crime lovers. Please be conscious of that um, around kids, conscious of that as well. So put us on headphones and just be mindful. Um, sometimes we talk about gore and just not fun stuff. So heads up on all of that. Okay. Um do we have any housekeeping items today? I feel like it's been so long. I'm not, I haven't kept up with social media or like any of our other stuff. I don't think we have anything going on. It's just life in general. Hey, and I've been busy. Haley started a new job. Yeah. And honestly, like I haven't even been on my, the social media. So slacking for sure. Yeah. We've just been sort of a wall, which is why we're doing this every couple of weeks and just trying our best to keep content coming. With our very full lives as moms moms and full-time workers on the side as well. Okay, so today's case, <laughs> um, we're going to go all the way back to 1990 in Fort Worth, Texas, where two people, David Turpin and Louise Robinette, are starting a new life after getting married. David Allen Turpin was born October 17, 1961, and was formerly a computer engineer who graduated from Virginia Tech. He met his wife, Louise Ann Turpin, who was born Louise Ann Robinette, on May 24, 1968. So she's like seven years younger than him. Or six years, sorry. No, seven. At she, they met at Princeton High School in Princeton, West Virginia. The couple married in Parisburg, Virginia. I hope I pronounced that right. That's how I pronounced it. So they married in 1985 when David was 22 and Louise was 16 years old. They eventually moved to Fort Worth, Fort Worth Texas for David's job as an engineer at Lockheed Martin. Louise, also from Virginia, grew up as a member of the Bible and sang in choir. At the time of their wedding, David was 26 and Louise was only 16. I mean, 22 and Louise was only 16. As mentioned, they began their life in Fort Worth, Texas. They were highly, highly religious and part of the Pentecostal church. I have no idea about religion, so I don't know what Pentecostal church means. It's just something that was mentioned in all the sources. Haley, do you know? I'm not sure. I don't. Not, I'm really bad about that stuff, too. Like Pentecostal, I have... No idea like what makes them different than the other. Yeah. I just thought that was an interesting thing. I know. Yeah, I know I've said in other episodes that I'm not really sure like why the religious affiliations are mentioned. I don't think that signifies anything good or bad about a person. But again, all the sources mentioned it and it sort of intrigued my curiosity. So I was just curious if 
anyone new. If you guys know what Pentecostal church means or what it stands for, I'm happy to learn. DM us, email us, whatever. Sometimes um, I feel like religion is described to p- about people the way that you would describe someone with blonde hair, brown hair, blue eyes. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like a characteristic. I guess so. You know, it doesn't make I, you a good person or a bad person because yeah. both of those people go to church. True. But again, like, I don't think true crime anything has anything to do with like how people look especially the people who are committing the track crime so i don't know like all of these all of these things i know are like adjectives to describe people but i don't think they add any value to it but i am continuing to perpetuate this stigma so i'm just gonna keep going at it even though i had a very useless (laughs) rant about it so they believed that God had called on them to have as many children as they can. Now, I don't know if this is specific to Pentecostal church or it was just something that they believed in, but it's something that's going to be pretty significant in the story as I go along it. They had their first child, a daughter named Jennifer Turpin in 1990 when David was 26 and Louise was 20. Let's now fast forward to 2018 in Perry, California. Side note, Perry, California is a tiny little town that is actually very close to where I live. I actually had my one and only skydiving experience here. I drove like 60 minutes away or 90 minutes away from home and we went to this like open opener, like less dense town in California where they do skydiving and I jumped out of a plane 12,500 feet in the air which was yeah crazy. perry california sounds familiar um, but also so does the turpins and i don't think i actually ever have ever heard a case about the turpins but it's like i know that i it's there like i know in my head that maybe you heard it i probably from living in california i probably heard of this case i'm sure people have it's just shocking to me that i haven't like it's also weird how i jump like how I came across the story I actually started my research and I was fully set on doing a whole different case for this week but in clicking through links on Google and YouTube I just kind of stumbled upon this one and I was hooked and I scratched my entire other research and I just basically was like nope I'm gonna do this one because I'm hooked to the story and I and Unfortunately for us, it had, you know, a couple. So a woman is involved. It's David and Louise. And that's why I think it fits our criteria, which is why I think it's kind of cool to tell the story in this sort of genre. Anyways, cool to tell the story, not cool about what the story is about. So, yeah, completely weird tangent on how I found this case I had not heard about it so I'll be very honest even though it happened clearly like four years ago 60 miles or barely 75 miles away from me so I was shocked um so to go back to January 14th 2018 in Perry California at about 5 49 a.m a 17 year old girl Jordan Turpin calls 911 she describes to the 911 operator that she comes from a family of Let me repeat, or let me just say it first, 15 kids. She comes from a family of 15. And that she's calling them so that they can rescue her sisters who are currently chained to the bed in their house. She also says that the parents, spoiler alert, the crime, the criminals here are David and Louise Turpin, abuse them. 
they hit them and pull them by their hair and throw them across rooms and punish them in really weird ways. They also apparently live in extremely filthy conditions. The kids never take baths. And when the operator asks Jordan what the last time was when she took a bath, she says about a year ago, which to me was absolutely insane. I mean, I can't imagine what someone who hasn't taken a bath in a year, especially a child, smells like. I don't know what that even would smell like. The 911 operator finally asks her where she is right now. And get this, she was 17 but was never allowed outside of their house. So she didn't understand basic simple words because the kids were never schooled or even the concept of street signs, stop signs, or just addresses. Like, I mean, I think I was listening to the 911 call and the operator asks her to give her her address and she gives them the zip code because she didn't even know what the numbers meant. Um, So the 911 operator has to actually tell Jordan to go up to a stop sign and look for, you know, those cross street signs and describe what they look like, see if she could give her the cross streets. But eventually, after all of that effort, they just end up tracing her call through the GPS signal on the phone that Jordan was using. So the phone that Jordan was using also only had SOS calls. So the operator knew that if she lost the call, there would be no way to call Jordan back. So she just stays on the phone with her. I have to say this was one of the times where I appreciated having 911 in this country because the care that this operator took with the 17-year-old child who was clearly in distress actually shocked me pleasantly. That's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the operator sends out a cop car to investigate. The cop on the way back from a graveyard shift initially thought that this was going to just be a really good way to bookend the shift. He was on his way home um, from his night shift and he thought this was just a regular teenager wanting attention and he was going to be able to reunite this girl with her parents and that was going to be the end of his shift and then he was going to go home. So he finally gets to Jordan and Jordan had a weird way of talking and you could even notice this in the 911 call that you listened to. Um, And the reason it's weird is because she didn't like have... She didn't learn words. She didn't learn vocabulary the way we did, right? Like she was never schooled. So she pronounced things differently or mispronounced them altogether. She didn't know what words meant. And so even when the officer pulls up um, and later in an ABC 2020 interview that I watched of Jordan, she said that, you know, she just had learned language from her older siblings who also weren't schooled. So her pronunciations and mannerisms were just off. It's incredibly sad. So anyway, so in her limited vocabulary. As yeah. a parent. So in sorry. her limited vocabulary. I was just going to say, as a ahead. parent, you know, you're always just like trying to make your kid the most smart kid in the room. <laughs> I know. We work so hard. Like, I still work with Leo on like, this is a ball. That's a right. plane. This is blue. That is green. So it's like odd to me that someone clearly had like 13 kids and didn't take the time to even like just in a very basic way prepare them to like communicate with someone. So it's just odd. But Jordan in her very limited vocabulary describes to the officer that this isn't a ploy for attention. She has younger and older siblings that are currently at her parents' house, either chained up or free, but all of them are very close or near to starving. 
They are routinely beaten and always live in filth. So she, she, the officer she knew asked, without education from right from wrong, obviously. Enough to... I'm going to get into that in a little bit as to how she learns this. But in this moment, she clearly knows. Um, the officer then asks Jordan if she had any pictures to prove what she was saying. And she says that actually one of her sisters before she ran away from home had told her to take some photos so that the officers or cops would take her seriously. She says, I quote, I don't have proof of everything, but I do have pictures of my little sisters currently chained to their bed. The officers look at the those and immediately knows that this is not going this is not going to be one of those happy endings and it's actually going to end up being a very long shift because these kids are in potential danger. He tells Jordan to sit in the back of his car and not to delete any of those pictures and asks her if she's injured. And yet again, Jordan didn't even know what the word injured meant. So she said, "What does injured mean?" And so he repeats and says, are you hurt? And her response was, no, not right now. As if clearly at some point she had mm. been hurt, but she was okay for mm -hmm. now. The 911 operator had at some point before the officer came on the scene, asked her names of all her siblings, and she listed all 13 of them. And this is going to be really shocking. Some of them range from as young as 2 to 29 mm. years old. 29. 29. Yep, 13 kids, guys. 13 Damn. kids. Ash. 29 years old. Yep. You're leaving these kids hostage in your house. And they're not even kids. That's a full fucking adult. That's older than me. And what's shocking is, you know, I would urge all of you to look at pictures. There's only three kids or two kids who've publicly made themselves available to like see what they look like and all the 11 of them we don't really know what they look like because they were either minors or chose not to be disclosed um but jennifer turpin who was the oldest 29 at the time that this was happening you should look at her pictures she looks so young i mean and we're gonna get into reasons about why that happened because for those of you thinking oh wow she's so lucky that her age was preserved no just wait. <laughs> it gets worse. I, my heart goes out to all these kids. Um, as she's... How old was Jordan? 17. 17. And her sister's 29. Mm -hmm. As she's talking to the officer and he's asking her more questions while he calls for backup, she tells him that her brother is also chained up. And she shows him a video of herself singing in the bathroom. I mean, remember, this is like the first time she's talking to anybody outside. She doesn't know what the normal protocol is. So she's bouncing around from like one thought to the other. Obviously, like showing him pictures and videos. Mm -hmm. um, now, remember, she called 911 at 5.49 a.m. So at about 7.20 a.m., barely an hour and a half later, backup has now arrived, and a few officers are about to walk up to the Turpin house under the ruse of a welfare check. I didn't know this, but since this involves kids who might be in danger, they didn't actually need a search warrant, and that was news to me. Like, it blew my mind. I'm glad that that exists. So they didn't need us. The police didn't actually need a search warrant to search the premises. So they walk up and. Yeah. So I think for the United States, it's either a search warrant or reasonable cause. So if you hear shooting in the house, you don't have to go get a search warrant to mm. go break into that house. If you looked in the window and you saw a child unattended and a crack pipe with the bomb, you can go ahead and go inside that house. Like you don't have to mm. get a search warrant 
for every scenario, there's reasonable cause. That's why sometimes, you know, that, it gets kind of yeah. gray. Area. Interesting. Yeah, I just didn't know. It was good to know that there's definitely things like this that exist where they didn't have to wait for a search warrant. So people had time to hide or whatever. Anyways, so the officers walk up to the house. Right. And I should also mention that at this point, Jordan was so afraid of what her parents were going to do to her. She actually never went to the house with the cops. She stayed back in the car with the initial officer that had showed up to help her out. And he was, I yeah, like I no, would I mean, I would too. Thing. She actually, in one of her interviews, said that she was so afraid that it didn't matter if there were five cops there. She truly believed that her parents would have killed her then and there. Um, so the cops show up. They knock on the door for a full two minute and 10 seconds. They can clearly hear people inside running around, lots and lots of commotion. And two minutes and 10 seconds later, someone finally opens the door and David and Louise Turpin walk out. They're like out of breath, panting. You can clearly see that they were running around inside, probably trying to like hide evidence. (laughs) Um, And then they walk out Mm -hmm. and the officers explain that they got a call from a young woman who claims that she lives in their house and that the kids aren't are being abused. And so they need to do a welfare check to make sure everything looks good. Um, David actually asked if they had a search warrant, which is when the officer said, no, actually, we don't need a search warrant, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Anyways, they finally Louise actually also repeatedly tries to ask the cops who called them. Is she still with them? Who is it? And the officers obviously ignore the question. Mm-hmm. Um, which is funny to me. Like, if you're running around panting, are you not going to be well, able I mean, to they tell have 13, one of your 13 children like is missing? in the morning. So I'm, I'm assuming if they weren't except. I'm pretty sure I would know. I mean, at this point, they're just holding like they're just breeders breeding to breed and to abuse their children so you probably don't know all yeah, your children. Yeah, I don't think that they were... If I had 13 children living in my house, I'm pretty sure I could tell one no, from no, the No, no, I'm sure they can tell one from the other. I just don't think at 7.20 in the morning when they had two minutes, they could do like a full head count and figure out which one of the kids was missing. Yeah. Head count. Um, so Louise also tries to explain before the officers entered their house that the house is a mess because they were going to be moving to Oklahoma the next day. Um, Part of my sources for this case um, was the ABC 2020 episode uh, that aired on November 2021 called Escape from the House of Horrors. And you can listen. I was going to say, this this is what I remember. That's the House of Horrors. Ah, That's why it sounds familiar. Um, And you can listen to Jordan's 911 call on it and watch the body cam footage of the cops going through the house and the state of the Turpin kids when they were found which I'm going to go into a little bit of detail about, unfortunately, to describe the like magnitude of the situation. Okay, so what the cops found mm-hmm. in the house was absolutely astonishing, devastating, gross. I can't think of enough adjectives to describe it. They found piles and piles of garbage everywhere. I mean, like you enter the home and there isn't even room to walk. And I mean, I'm talking houses in California aren't usually big, but Perry was a small town. So this was a big house. I mean, I think they had something like five bedrooms and it was just a ginormous house. So it's a lot of house to be completely fully covered in trash just yeah. like hoarder and status so it wasn't even hoarder status. it was just trash like there were fast food junk like items everywhere it's just garbage um this yeah it, i don't know if anyone is wondering at this time david worked for actually a pretty 
well-known company called Northrop Grumman as an engineer. I'm not stating this to mention anything bad about the employer or I'm just stating that to be hired in that company as an engineer, you have to be pretty smart, which tells me that David wasn't dumb. I mean, these people had full knowledge and consciousness mm-hmm. about consciousness about what they were doing to these 13 kids. And that is the point that I'm trying to make. Right. Like it's it, it's absolutely boggling to me that they were doing this. Um, they found kids in the house who were severely malnourished. Now, remember, some of these kids are in their late 20s, like I mentioned, and some doctors described that these kids had arms the size of a six and a half month old or something like that. That's how malnourished they were. Like they oh were skinny, skinny bones. Um, they smelled. It just <laughs> none of the sources list their obviously the kids names, like I said, because they want to protect their identities as survivors and minors at the time. The only kids that have somewhat gone public are Jordan Turpin, who made the 911 call. Jennifer Turpin, she was the oldest. She actually appeared in the 2020 interview. And Joshua Turpin, who has never revealed what he looks like now, but he sent in a video diary to ABC 2020 on the case when they were being interviewed um in case you guys are interested in watching i highly recommend watching that abc 2020 special with diane sawyer i thought it was insanely heartbreaking but eye-opening for me anyways going back so the kids are severely malnourished pale and living in absolutely filthy conditions the sisters jordan was talking about who were apparently chained were no longer chained i assume that this is what David and Louise were busy running around in the two minutes that they didn't open the door uh, when the cops came in, probably because they unchained them. And then get this, they never actually hid the chains. So they unchained the kids, but they never hide the chains. They were just hanging by the side of these bunk beds in rooms. And so the cops obviously found them. What they also noticed was that the kids were absolutely like they were dressed in filthy clothing i keep saying filthy over and over again but i cannot stress this enough i mean there was human excrement everywhere in the kids rooms because they were like chained to the their beds for months sometimes weeks um they wouldn't even unchain them to go to the bathroom barely like if they made it in time they would they didn't feed them they never changed their clothes they didn't take baths like it was like the the officers described like entering the home and it was like hot in there so like the odor that hit them was just like insane um so where was i sorry just trying to find my room yep so like yeah like i said these kids were chained to the bed so if they pee if they needed to go to the bed bathroom and they weren't unchained they would like pee and poop their pants like and no one would do anything about it it's just sad Mm -hmm. so now even though the kids were some of the kids were not chained the cops were able to retrieve the chains uh used to chain them from the house inside closets like they just literally hid them in the closets which was sad why are criminals so dumb also glad that they are dumb but why um again this guy's not stupid right he's clearly an engineer for a pretty well-known firm This absolutely broke Mm -hmm. my heart. So the reason that the cops knew for sure and didn't need any more evidence was they found bruises on the kids' wrists from being chained up too long. Um, They were malnourished, yes, but they were clearly like bruises on their wrists. To increase the cruelty here, they found brand new clothing for kids of different ages around the house with tags still on them. So while their kids were dressed in filth, 
not taking showers. They had clothes for all these kids of their sizes and ages in the house, just brand new with tags still on them. There were brand new toys that weren't opened. I will. I just. I don't understand why people are like this. It's just. Yeah, I'm like. What's I'll the explain point of that? that in a little bit too. It was clear to the cops that the kids needed to be removed from the parents' care. But if you thought it was worse here, then no. Here's another detail: David and Louise, in all their rush, just like Haley said, like don't they know which kid's missing? No. In all of this commotion, they forgot they had an entire other room where there were kids that were still chained to their beds. They just forgot to do it, and the cops noticed that, and they found the older boys who were in that room right by the entrance where the cops were, and um, they caught them red-handed with the kids chained to the beds. Um, David and Louise were instantly separated. Good. What was it? What did they say? <laughs> Nothing. At this point, they basically... What was it like? Oh, there's these chained kids in my room. <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> I, I can't remember now. Maybe I've blocked it out of my memory, but it was just the bizarre scene. So David and Louise were separated and arrested and put into different cars and taken to the police station. Side note, <laughs> I'm sitting here wondering how the fuck something like this is even possible i mean like i said this is california neighborhoods here this is not california is a big state but it's a dense state and even small towns like that houses are close together like i don't understand how neighbors didn't notice how someone doesn't notice that 13 kids moved in across the street and none of them walk to school every day none of them come out of the house every day like i'm just i don't know i I would it would it would Mm -hmm. raise questions for me you know what i mean like i i don't know Anyways, so mm-hmm. uh, let's get some background on the Turpin family now and actually how it got to this point and this bad. So now remember, David and Luis had Jennifer, their first child, in 1990 in Fort Worth, Texas. In an interview with ABC 2020, Jennifer Turpin said that her first memory as a kid was her going down the stairs to get a cup of water for herself when she was maybe two or three. And she remembers hearing her father yelling at her mom. And when Luis, her mom, tried to speak up, he yelled, no, and punched a hole in the wall. And Jennifer remembers being terrified. I mean, can you imagine, like, this is basically the age crew is now if like this happened in front of him. Like I, I cannot even, I just can't fathom that. It's just, I don't, I don't understand. Um, I don't understand what kid wouldn't be terrified. So I can only imagine hearing your dad as a two year old yelling like that and that too at your own mom, it would be absolutely traumatizing. Louise also apparently had terrible mood swings. Jennifer said that she remembers being afraid of asking her mom for anything because she didn't know what she was going to get in return. Was she going to get a mom who yelled at her and got annoyed at the fact that she was asking a question and call her stupid? Or was she going to get a mom who was going to respond lovingly and try to help her daughter? Warning about how traumatic the story is from here on out. As I was researching this case, I'm going to say again and again, my heart just absolutely broke for these kids. Jennifer said that she remembers going to grade school and nobody wanting to be her friend, probably because of how bad she stunk because of living in a filthy house. Mm -hmm. She said kids called her skinny bones. She said they literally lived in a house with piles and piles of trash. There was black mold everywhere. Wait, so they went, she went she to went school? She went to school for the first few 
years and I'm going to go into that. So she said the teachers probably noticed what was going on, but no one looked into it because one day David and Louise just pulled Jennifer out of school. And that was the last time any Turpin child ever went to a public school. So I had a friend in high school who was really sticky. Like I had a really hard time having her at my house. Like it was one thing at school when there's like other smells and stuff like that. But then you bring her to your house. Like I had her over for a sleepover and I just remember like she smelled so bad. And I remember like not wanting her there, but also being like, I like having her around because like I liked her personality, but the, the smell, you know, and you're, you're, you're as a kid, you're like trying to, I mean, I was in high school, so I wasn't like mean or trying to like insult her or even want to ask her questions about why did she stink? Like, how do you ask yeah. somebody? Why do you smell so bad? Yeah. It's <laughs> you know funny. I, mean? I had a note here because, um, and I didn't put this in my notes, but when I was taking down notes, I wrote down that in the ABC documentary, actually, David, I'm um, sorry, one of her friends or one of her classmates from the time that Jennifer was in grade school remembered her there. He was he's now a doctor and he was looking back at this time. And when this case broke, he actually wrote a letter to ABC saying how sorry he was about being part of like the bullying in school where no one wanted to be Jennifer's friend and I think he wrote this thing that actually struck a chord with Mm. me befriend the Jennifer Turpins of the world because that is the time when you can get to know why someone is going through the life the way they are you know maybe it's just not a stinky kid like maybe it's just that they don't have a loving home to go back to you know like coming from a family that was so loving to me and being a mom now and, and mm-hmm. trying my best to provide that for Leo. I feel like this story reminded me to teach Leo to be kind, you know, like just like Haley said, like if your friend stinks, like, or someone stinks at school, like instead of maybe shying away, you can say, Hey, like what's up? Like, you know, maybe kids are so innocent be like, Hey, do you need a bath or something? What's going mm-hmm. on? Do you need food? I don't know. <laughs> Just anything that's like nice because that's probably what Jennifer yeah, needed. I, I get you know? what you're saying. Like she said in her interview that she just needed someone to be kind to her. And But, you know, kids are kids. I'm not blaming the kids. It's just that's how it is. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so um, uh, she said they literally lived in a house with piles and piles of trash. She said the teachers probably noticed what was going on, but no one looked into it. And one day David and Luis just pulled her out of school. And that was the last day any of the Turpin children ever went to school. So now remember how I said that they were all at school and no one really noticed like Cal- California has a significant amount of their state budget that goes to schooling and education. And so to me, it's absolutely o- other than mind blowing that how come there was this, someone registered with 13 kids and no one checked up on them? Like, are you going to school like attendance, any of it? And apparently David Turpin had registered right. a homeschool in California where he was the principal of the school and Louise was the teacher. And so that was the check. Um, He was running this whole school out of his home. He called it Sandcastle Day School. 
Mind you, this is not a dig at homeschooling. Some parents absolutely choose this route, but they follow a set coursework and the kids in the program have to take some sort of standardized testing every so often to make sure they're keeping up with the learning milestones. Apparently, this homeschool where clearly no teaching was happening slipped through the CA system's cracks and no one ever checked in on the Turpin kids and their homeschooling. There's a whole other episode we could do on how the California and other state systems absolutely fail the Turpin kids, but another time. In 1999, the family moved from Fort Worth, Texas to a tiny town called Rio Vista, Texas. David would commute to Lockheed Martin from their home in Rio Vista. If you're wondering how David and Louise's families never caught on or their friends, this will help to understand um, that... David and Louise apparently posed as the perfect family. They they got to get they took the kids, gave them the bath once a year, dressed them in perfect clothes and took Christmas card pictures to send out to their family and friends where they all would were matching clean Christmas outfits. These were the few times in the year that the kids got a bath and just got to be normal, but for them it was dressing up. They took them to places like Disneyland once in a while to keep up this happy family facade where the kids were instructed to never talk to strangers and to only keep to themselves. At this point, they had... Again, another point that you know exactly yeah, what you're again, doing. Yeah, again, yeah, absolutely. These were smart people who knew what they were doing. There's no, like, retribution for them here. Um, they had 12 kids, none of whom were allowed to go anywhere. They were all told to refer to David and Louise as only father and mother and nothing else. Jennifer said that David and Louise often quoted the Bible to them in order to justify their treatment of their own kids, which is even more heartbreaking. They said things like they were allowed to even kill the kids if they didn't listen to them. I honestly cannot imagine doing this as let alone a parent to my own children, but just to literally anybody. Like to tell a tiny little kid who mm-hmm. is so innocent that I will kill you if you don't listen to me. I don't even know how terrifying that is. Anyways, they used belts, chains, and dog crates to lock up kids in. And the older siblings were sometimes supposed to be the enforcers putting the younger kids into these cages it wasn't much an option, much of an option for these older kids because they were told that if they didn't put their siblings in them, then they would have to be put in the cages themselves. I don't. I, I every moment of this case, I'm just shocked and I'm speechless. Anyways, in, in 2006, David and Louise moved ten of their children to a trailer behind the house and abandoned them entirely. They stopped by occasionally with food and supplies that were never enough. The other two youngest ones still remain in the house with David and Louise. Jordan remembers that she was six when she was left there. She remembers eating leaves and grass to survive. And she would sometimes even survive on ketchup, mustard, and ice to curb her hunger. Hunger. It's so wow. hard to hear. Um, yeah, it's just sad. Anyways, it's shocking to me that I never heard of this story when it clearly broke an hour away from me. I had never heard of it. I don't know if this is ringing a bell for you, Haley, and how you know the Turpin family, but I hadn't heard of it. Um, I've seen some of the interviews with uh, Jordan. Okay. At some point in 2006, David and Louise traveled to Las Vegas to renew their wedding vows. This was one of the trips they took as a family to keep up the facade. 
Most of the days in Vegas, the kids would starve in the hotel room while David and Luis went out partying and drinking and eating like kings. There was a clip of all the Turpin kids dancing and singing at the wedding at the chapel in Vegas for the vow renewal, dressed in matching clothes again, singing and dancing. But if you look closely at these recordings, you will see incredibly sad, malnourished, skinny kids probably enjoying one of the only fun days they have had in a while, wondering why this life couldn't be like this all the time. In 2010 is when the finally the family finally moved to Perry, California. David had got a new job as an engineer at Northrop Grumman and bought a new Mustang. Luis had racked up a huge credit card debt buying kids games and clothes. Apparently, Luis had a shopping addiction combined with some sort of fascination with kids toys and clothes. Remember the piles of Except not letting her kids yep. have so it. So all those piles of unused kids' clothing and toys found by the cops, those were all collectibles for Louise's guilty pleasure. The kids were not allowed to touch the games or the clothes until mother gave them the permission to do so, which was likely never. They were in so much debt that David had to at some point file for bankruptcy, which is when they decided that the children... Not the fucking monster parents, but the children had to economize and save money. Every day, they would only get bread and peanut butter. Occasionally, they would get a frozen meal here and there. All the while, the parents ate fast food and other delicious frozen meals. What Jennifer described as the quote-unquote good stuff. And get this, David and Louise made Jennifer prepare their meals for them. So while Jennifer would eat, was eating nothing wow. and starving, they would make her warm up this all this food for them. When the kids asked why they couldn't eat what the parents were having, David and Louise said it's because they stole their food and they were being punished. punished. They gaslit their own children, guys. I can't even handle it. <laughs> it's so fucking disgusting. Yeah. The kids had no schedule to a weird schedule. The kids were usually up at night and would sleep during the day. The blinds of the house always stayed closed. The kids weren't allowed to open the blinds and even look outside. They weren't even allowed to stand up in their rooms. They were supposed to be sitting down the entire time. When David and Louise were gone, the kids would sneak open the windows and smell the fresh air and sneak over to talk to each other. I mean, these were just fucking kids desperate for attention, wanting to just experience any kind of love. And anyways, they tried to teach each other, each other things their parents should have taught them. In 2015, Jordan Turpin opened one of her siblings' smartphones and watched the Justin Bieber hits like Baby, As Long As You Love Me and Boyfriend. She said that it gave her the courage to want to escape. She realized that there was a different world out there that she wanted to experience. Jordan said that. Please tell me Justin Bieber and her. I was met thinking at the same point. thing, and I never heard any such thing happening. But I did <laughs> stalk Jordan on her social media. Apparently, Jordan's huge on TikTok and Instagram now, and she did meet Haley Bieber. So, yeah. Oh, Jordan nice. said that she learned most of her words from watching the interviews Justin Bieber gave to the media. It was after watching these videos that she decided to create a social media account and hopefully be able to make friends and talk to people, something she had never done before. She would post videos of herself singing, hoping people would follow her. Eventually, one of the followers asked her why she was always inside 
a bathroom and behind closed doors. And eventually she finally started talking to this follower describing what her life was. And the follower said, this isn't right. You need to like call someone. And that's how she realizes it's it's wrong. That's like the first seed oh. that this is. I knew it felt wrong, but it actually is wrong. So one night, one night. Yay, social media. Yep. <laughs> one case where I actually thought social media. But it's kind of funny. This case has an example of both. It's like the one where clearly David and Luis are portraying this perfect family on social media. So social media is a reason that they didn't get caught for so long. But then it's also like the cause for their demise like mm-hmm. so many years later because then the kids get on social media and it gives them this access to the outside world that they didn't have. Um, anyway, so one night, Louise caught right. Jordan watching a video and Jordan said that a mother, in quote, almost choked her so hard that Jordan thought she was going to die that day. Jordan had nightmares about her own mother killing her. One night, Jordan heard talk Louise, Louise talked to David about moving to Oklahoma, and it was also the day where her two little sisters had been caught stealing mother's candy, which is why they had been chained to the bed. Jordan said that she could hear her sisters crying and yelling for help, and this is when Jordan decided it was time to escape and get help or die trying. So she decided to sneak to Jennifer's room at night and ask for advice. Jennifer, being the only Turpin child who had seen some of the outside world when she went to school, told her all she knew of the world outside. She drew Jordan a map of their street describing where the road would be, but she wasn't sure. Jordan had watched the show Cops on TV, which is where she formulated the plan of her escape and knew how to call 911. Jennifer told Jennifer yeah, told her told Jordan to take pics as proof so cops would believe her. Um, this is when she decided to go up to her two little sisters. She even sweetly asked for their permission to take their picture so that she could show to the cops. David and Louise were charged with 12 counts of torture, 12 counts of false imprisonment, 7 counts of abuse of a dependent adult, and 6 counts of child abuse. David received an additional charge of a lewd act on a child under 14. They were held in lieu of bail being posted, which media reported was set at $9 million for Louise Turpin and $12 million for David Turpin. David eventually was charged with perjury in relation to affidavits affidavits he had filed with the California Department of Education over the years. Remember those homeschooling documents all being fake? Yep, he got an additional sentence for that. Louise's attorney requested that Louise be placed in a pre-trial diversion program for mental health treatment due to a diagnosis of histrionic personality disorder. Apparently, it came out later that Louise was abused as a child, and that's why she was narcissistic and had just sort of developed this histrionic personality disorder as a result. And she was don't care. You still know yep, what you're doing. I wasn't wrong. even going to mention it, but since. You know, they were claiming histrionic personality disorder. I figured I'd go into a little bit of detail. Anyways, the judge denied the request on the grounds that the Turpin, that Jenna, that Louise Turpin actually posed a risk to the public if she was ever released. On February 2nd, 2019, David and Louise each changed their not guilty pleas to guilty to one count of torture, three counts of willful child cruelty, four counts of false imprisonment, and six counts of cruelty to an adult dependent. Both were sentenced to life imprisonment with the, with the possibility of parole after 25 years. 
Experts believe that they will never receive parole because of the nature of their crimes, effectively saying that this is a lifelong sentence. Um, David was originally sent to Mule Creek State Prison, um, and Louise is in the Central California Women's Facility. All the children spent several weeks in the hospital, after which the six minors were put into two foster homes. Doctors treated various issues, including heart damage due to lack of nutrients, cognitive impairments, and neuropathy. I, I think I read somewhere that one of the doctors said that two of the kids were in such bad condition that if Jordan had not decided to escape that night and had the Turpins actually decided to move to Oklahoma, two of the kids would not have survived their, that journey. They would have died. Um, yeah. Wow. I Probably the know. younger ones. Oh my God. And this part is so sad when the cops were in the house, they go into the master bedroom, which is again, piles and piles of junk and Haley they didn't even realize that there was a little crib in that room with just piles on top of it. And when they removed those dirty clothes from on top of the crib, there was a child under there. And the cops, yeah. A and live the cop one? said that when he removed the clothes, the child like smiled at him. It was like the most heartbreaking thing I've ever heard in my life. I think I had to pause and cry for like five minutes when I heard that. <sighs> That is so sad. How do they not kill anyone? It's so sad. I mean, I guess yeah. it's a good thing. It's a blessing that no yeah. children died. Well, so after they went to jail, get this, this is where the shitty stuff gets even shittier. In October 2019, five of the younger children were adopted by an abusive family who further tormented them. Allegations included hitting them in the face with sandals, pulling their hair, hitting them with a belt, and striking their heads. They were forced to eat excessively and then forced to eat their own vomit. One of the foster fathers was even accused of grabbing and fondling (sighs) them and kissing them on the mouth. The foster family was arrested and charged with abusing multiple children in their care. In early 2020, the Riverside County Deputy District Attorney reported that the children were living independently, working and going to school, and that one had even graduated from college. But ABC's 2020's investigative reporting revealed that the money was actually in a trust controlled by a court-appointed public guardian. I think her name was Vanessa something that I'm forgetting. She is an absolute bitch. I don't know how she lives with herself and sleeps at night because apparently she, like Joshua Turpin, who was trying to go to college, would call her to help him figure out like, hey, can I get money out of this fund that you're looking over for my family to buy a bike to go to school? And she said no. Like reasonable requests of expenses were denied. And then when he would say, she would say, no, just use public transportation. When he would say, well, I don't know how to use public transportation. Can you teach me how? You're literally my court appointed public guardian. She would say, I don't have time. Google it. <laughs> wow. Joshua Turpin's. Can we jo- skip to the happy, no ending? happy ending? Jo- they, they were rescued, but then the state fucked them. Joshua Turpin stated he could not access the funds, denied purchase of a bicycle during an interview with Diane Sawyer. Uh, Jordan said that she actually had been released from her foster home with no life skills, no plans for housing or knowledge of how to get food or health care. 
In July 2022, the siblings filed lawsuits in California's River County, Riverside County Superior Court, a court against the foster care agency that placed them in a home where they were allegedly subjected to further abuse and re- neglect. Two nearly identical lawsuits were filed, with one representing the two older siblings and the other representing the younger four siblings. Riverside County Foster Family Network and ChildNet Youth and Family Services were named as defendants in the lawsuit. That's it. Haley is crying and I can the turpins win. Um, this is in twenty twenty two, July of twenty twenty two, so literally last month. So I don't know how this will end, Damn. but it looks like because of ABC's yeah, because of case. ABC's investigative reporting. There's just way too much evidence. I would be shocked if there isn't any kind of settlement. But, I mean, settlement, like, one of the kids, Jennifer's, like, 33 at this point. Like, what the fuck, guys? Like, she was rescued four years ago, and you couldn't even make sure that such a big case got handled correctly. (laughs) And it sucks, too, because, like, the oldest sibling couldn't, like, take them in. You know what I mean? Because they had no life skills. It's just insane. I I don't know. All my heart goes out to these kids, and I, mostly I was just shocked at how strong Jennifer and Jordan are. I mean, after all that they've been through, they managed to keep smiles on their face and stay strong. And they said that the siblings still get together, all thirteen of them, and they try to have like, you know, preserve those memories and moments. And it's kind of nice that they have in all this grayness in their life they find like rays of hope and sunlight so i hope they like what are the parents excuse for what i they think did? it was just religion not I that think. it matters but sometimes i'm I just not sure understand. like the like, only thing i read was that the god that god had told him to have as many kids and then maybe it had something to do with the fact of their religion that was the implication again i'm not saying i know this i don't know anything about pentecostal churches but the implication is that they were a either crazy or something about how they interpreted the Bible. So, cause clearly they were quoting the Bible to these kids every time they did something to them. So I don't know. Why does anyone know so, why people do things? Yeah. I don't know. I hate it. Uh, well, okay. And that's it. I'm starving. <laughs> well, that was it. And um, I hate this case and I feel sick sorry, to my stomach. I told you this case would be sad. Um, I don't think you guys enjoyed this case, but I hope it was eye opening. <laughs> um, and we'll see you in two weeks with a drink in hand. Don't let the murder thoughts bite. Good night. <laughs>